Today is October 7th, and this is episode two. I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. The South Dakota Catholic Conference represents the Catholic bishops of South Dakota on matters of public policy. Our new podcast, Faith in Politics, explores a variety of contemporary civic issues through the lens of a classical Catholic moral and ethical framework. Welcome to the studio, Emily Leadham, um, the director of the office, Office of Marriage, Family, and Respect Life for the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Thanks for having me on, Chris. I'm really glad you're here. Today, uh, episode two, still in um, early iterations of the Faith and Politics podcast, it's October 7th. In October, we entered in Respect Life Month. And yeah. as I'm kind of just like brainstorming a little bit, um, who do I got to have on for big episode number two? The first person that popped into my head was Mrs. Emily Leadham. So oh, I'm, I'm so honored. I'm glad that you're here. Um, the, the South Dakota Catholic Conference, unlike the Diocese of Sioux Falls, which is restricted to the East River of South Dakota, the South Dakota Catholic Conference represents both Catholic bishops of South Dakota, both dioceses, which of course includes um, uh, all the brothers and sisters West River. So just for the sake of uh, listeners that may not know who you are, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Emily Leadham. I uh, I often call myself a daughter of the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Really, the, the work of the Lord in my life was through many great hands um, within the diocese that kind of brought about conversion in my life. And um, sure enough, I went to school uh, at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota, thought that I would forever stay in the Twin Cities, which I fell in love with. And then the Lord brought me home back to the back to the diocese. Uh, so I've been working for the diocese for uh, six, six ish years, six, seven years, something like that. Um, I'm married. I've got uh, two beautiful little girls and I often call him my handsome hunk of humanity husband, Matt. Um, and yeah, we reside in here in Sioux Falls. And I often say like my work uh, here at the diocese, as you said, I'm the director of marriage, family and respect life. And I always feel like it's such an outpouring of what the Lord is kind of doing in my own family life. Mm. Uh, so many of the events that I get to plan, the resources that I get to uh, promote and offer to parishes throughout the diocese are things that things that I want, you know, things that I'm looking for um, as a young Catholic couple. So and a, and a young Catholic family. So. Well, that's, that's, that's beautiful. And I, I just have to say personally, too, like since my wife Hannah and I moved back home to South Dakota two years ago, it's just been a delight for us to get to know you and your growing family. And We're real life friends. Yeah, we're real life <laughs> friends. It's true. We're not just podcast friends. So um, Respect Life Month. You know, this is something that uh, uh, Respect Respect Life Month is something that's been forefront of mind for Catholics for many, many years. You know, of course, um, 1973, that, that terrible... Um, court decision that Roe versus Wade legalized um, ab- abortion across our land. The struggle is uh, it's it's been long, um, but we're we're in it for the long haul. But just in talking about this issue, I said, you know, Emily, is there anything like burning on your heart that you'd like to talk about? And you brought up something that uh, you're reading right now that I just thought was fascinating, and we're going to jump into uh, a little bit more. And it's a, it's a book called The Soul of the Apostolate by Jean-Baptiste Chotard, uh, uh, a French, I think, Cistercian. And the book was written about 100 years ago. Um, it's uh, available in, in reprints today, so it's anybody can buy it. Um, and I just, as I kind of was um, I'm a little familiar with the book, I had read part of it before, and just heard you talking about it, I was like, yes, let's, let's go there. 
Um, so maybe just tell the listeners, why did that jump to mind for you? Yeah, yeah. The book, The Soul of the Apostolate, has been on my uh, list of reading. I, I don't know about you. I have a long list that I feel like I don't get through nearly as quickly as I'm supposed to. Someday, hopefully, I'll be as holy as my bookshelf would lead uh, one to believe. But um, I, yeah, I, I've, I've been um, desiring to read it for a while, and I picked it up a couple of weeks ago, and I've been kind of slowly working my way through it. But the thing that I love about it is that it really um, it emphasizes what he's offering is is an emphasis on the on the contemplative life, on the interior life of really the worker, of the apostle. Uh, and, and basically he's saying like anything that we do in the world, any work that we strive uh, to, to fulfill in the world, whether that be as stay-at-home mothers, whether that be as priests, whether that be as politicians, whether that be as lawyers or ministry leaders or physical therapists or whatever we do, it should be an outpouring of our interior life. Um, and I think especially, you know, in this, as you kind of mentioned, we're, we're right in the heart of Respect Life Month. Um, I think that's especially for us as pro-life advocates, uh, for as advocates for life in the world. Um, you know, so often there's these things that I'm like, oh, this would be a great idea. I'll, I'll do this ministry for moms that are, that are experiencing unplanned pregnancies or we'll, you know, collect these items for babies in, in difficult situations or whatever it might be. Those are really, really good things. But how much more fruitful do they become when they actually flow from uh, the Lord really working in our lives? Um, and, that, and that's a, a, a careful distinction to be made. I think it can be a, a difficult dis- distinction to be made. But I think when we're really um, prioritizing the interior life, it really does. It starts to flow. The work that God wants to do starts to flow out of us. So just to maybe distill the book a bit is really the apostolate, which we could or maybe articulate as our action in the world. Yep. The apostolate, there's got to be a primacy of contemplation. Mm-hmm. There's got to be, uh, that's got to be the origin of our work. Is that mm-hmm. is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the image too that comes to mind, you know, because we were talking about this before is um, just this idea of like uh, two concentric circles uh, with life in the middle and then prayer around it versus mm. two concentric circles with prayer in the middle and life around it. Right. Uh, and my temptation sometimes I think is to kind of do life and then to, Oh, by the way, Lord, what do you want me to do about this situation? Or what do you want me to do about this? Rather than prayer being, as you called it, the animated principle that, that infuses itself in the work that I do in the world that I'm rooting myself in prayer and then my action as a mother or a wife or a worker or whatever actually flows from that intimate intimacy, that union with God. Yeah. I really like, I mean, the image of the concentric circles, you know, was just prayer at the middle. One of the, just cause I, um, I, you know, I, I mean, I like I try to be orderly. I have everything in my calendar, but so we know that it can be like helpful to schedule prayer, so we make sure we're doing it. But if it's just like when we schedule it and we just see it there on the calendar, like next to the going to the gym or next to work or next to all these other obligations, it can be just sort of a, like a checklist. And thing. I like, am. Yeah, I've just checked it off, done. Rather than like, as you put it, at the center of the circle, you know, maybe that the axle at the middle of the wheel around which everything turns um, – then it's like uh, the animating principle, or even like we've got this scriptural image of yeast, you know? So if we as Christians yeah. are to be yeast in the world, can we even like conceive of our own lives as like 
the prayer is the yeast that makes everything else rise. Right. Right. So yeah, it gives it, it gives it, um, it's, it's the leaven. We want to be the leaven in the world. Absolutely. Can I share, can I share a quote from, from this book that just really strikes me? Um, so it, it jumped out to me, I think, especially, um, in light of, in light of Respect Life Month, in light of kind of being um, advocates for life in the world. But um, Jean-Baptiste was saying, the contemplative life or a life of union with God, um, thanks to the constant light and assistance of the soul, um, which the soul receives from this closeness to him, gives life to our external occupations. And it alone is able to impart to them at the same time, a supernatural character and a real usefulness. Um, and I just want to unpack that a little bit because I know it's a lot, but again, the contemplative life or a life of union with God gives life to our external occupations and it alone is able to impart to them that same supernatural character and real usefulness. And I actually mm. laughed when I read like the usefulness, yeah. uh, because I think that there's so many things that we do in the world that sometimes can be useless, you know, because maybe God's not asking us to do them or we're kind of turning our, turning our wheels or spinning our wheels. You know, I, I, sometimes I feel like that if I'm, um, running into something where I just like keep on trying something and I'm not gaining traction, whether that's in ministry or whether that's, you know, potty training my toddler, whatever it might be where I feel like I'm, I'm just not gaining traction. And I think if I were to, to take a step back and to recenter all of that, in, in deep union with God, Lord, help me to be a mother. Lord, help me to be the tool, the instrument that you want to use in the world. Then suddenly it becomes useful. That tool becomes more useful. Um, and instead of, you know, using a hammer to open a door, we're using a hammer to, to pound it in a nail kind of thing. Um, just using the tool appropriately. Well, and to even articulate it in terms of to be more fruitful, we need to like just stop for a minute is a really countercultural thing to like, in order for our activity to be um, like actually efficacious or for it to like serve the, 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 the end that we want it to serve to do that. We actually need to not act, which is, you know, (laughs) contemplation. Yeah. Um, Do you think that's countercultural? I think it is. We live, uh, I think it is, you know, it's a, Sometimes I feel like we're in a tyranny of busyness where it's just like we're kind of overcome. I mean, even in our – some uh, a lot of calendaring is on the phone now. So yeah. you can like just – and the thing that strikes me about like the, the Google calendar, and I'm not knocking this. You know, it can be really useful. But you can you can put an infinite number of things in there, yeah. which is actually not real yeah. um, because we only have so many minutes in the day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. And we might be able to successfully kind of like – survive yeah. <laughs> our calendar appointments, but are we being fruit? Have you, have you heard that quote from Henry Nowen about the distinction between successfulness and fruitfulness? Tell it's, me. It, oh man, this is just rocking my world lately. So, uh, Henry Nowen, um, wrote something along the lines of there's a, there's a key difference between successfulness and fruitfulness. Successfulness we can do based upon discipline, based upon hard work, uh, showing up, basically getting the work done. But fruitfulness is actually born out of the places that were vulnerable, the places that were broken and touching the wounds of another. Mm. And it, I, I, I want to be fruitful in the work Amen. that I do in the world. I want to be fruitful as, um, as an activist. I want to be fruitful as, especially as a, as a pro-life 
um, kind of missionary in the world, yeah. um, bearing the bearing the image of God, bearing the image of life, a life, a culture of life to the world. I want it to be fruitful. I don't just want to do it successfully. I don't just want a successful campaign or a successful event or yeah. a successful podcast. You know, I want it to actually be fruitful because fruitfulness will transcend the thing itself. Yeah, it. I think that's so important. And one of the reasons that I just have a conviction that this this topic, just like fruitfulness founded on um, union with God is so, so important, even in the context of like the pro-life legal and political fight, is because there's a lot of electricity in the air right now. Mm. Um, following some abortion bans in other parts of the country last year, we've got a new composition on the Supreme Court. And a lot of pro-lifers are starting to get really fired up for good reason about, hey, the end of Roe, uh, God willing, it's in sight. We can put this this chapter in our of our this terrible, terrible chapter of our uh, nation's history behind us. And we have to bear in mind that even if Roe goes away, just as a as a legal case, Roe and its uh, its progeny, when they go away, the matter is back to the states for the states to decide. In South Dakota, God bless it, has a what they call a trigger law on the books that immediately it'll spring into place if the mechanics work out as they're supposed to, that abortion will be unlawful. But really, we just need to remember that this is this is a battle for hearts. This is a battle for for, for souls. Um, other people, you know, a, a court isn't the enemy, a legislature isn't the enemy, other people aren't the enemy. The, the evil one is working in the world. He's the enemy. And for us, even if, God willing, we get some, like, big uh, political and legal victories, we still need to engage with our fellow citizens on, on this issue in a heart-speaks-to-heart sort of way. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I often hear people say, okay, I want to be in the world, but not of the world. Yeah. And kind of how do you how do you do that? You know, how, how I need to be able to engage. Yeah, like you're saying, I need to be able to engage my fellow citizens because the work is not is never going to be done. Yeah. You know, it's not like if if Roe Wade was overturned, then suddenly America would say, oh, life is good. You know, like there's there's no way the work is not done. How do I continue to engage in the world? But also not. I don't know. I, I struggle a little bit, especially, you know, in light of this con- conversation about letting things flow from the interior union with God, um, not being of the world, not being um, so consumed by it that I lose sight of, of kind of the bigger picture. And I think that's one of the challenges, but, but yeah, like you're, you're speaking so much truth. How do we engage our fellow citizens, um, continually? Well, and it's been pointed out, uh, that the title of the podcast is faith and politics, not politics and faith. Mm-hmm. Like there's a certain, uh, just truth inherent in the, the ordering of those words that, um, like our ultimate destiny is heaven. Like that's our first allegiance mm-hmm. is as citizens of, of heaven. Um, and yes, we're also Americans. Yes, we're also South Dakotans. But uh, in a in a very certain real sense, like we're also just pilgrims. Yeah. Um, yeah. In in these ways, so that yeah, to, to to act well as a citizen means first and foremost to like bear heavenly gifts unto my fellow citizen. Amen. So, Amen. Uh, there's another quote that you had uh, from the book that really jumped out at you. Do you want to share that one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other the other thing that really um, struck me and that I just wanted to share today is, for you can be sure that the extent to which you yourself are able to live on the love of our Lord 
will be the exact measure of your ability to stir it up in other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I desire to be an evangelist in the world. I desire um, to be, in regard to like the pro-life conversation, I desire to be somebody that other people see and are like, I want to be pro-life. Yeah. Because look at the joy, look at look at the, the life that that brings to Emily Leadham. Like there's something about her. That's what I want people to say, right? I, I'm, I'm far from it. I'm working on it. But I want people to say there's something about Emily Leadham that bears a witness to the goodness of life that I want to emulate. But that will only be to the extent in which I myself am pursuing the Lord. You know, that's the 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 measure of which I hope that other people will say that will only be based upon how much I actually live it. Yeah. about how much I actually am rooted in Christ himself. So like holiness is contagious. Holiness is contagious. Yeah. Yeah, and attractive, yeah. Like, like really attractive. Yeah. So kind of a, a common thread I see between the two quotations that you shared is just this real dependency on on the, on the life uh, received from the Lord. And I got to just say that um, even in my own work, uh, engaging with uh, policymakers, engaging with the legislature, just how important this dependence has been for me. And again, like you, I'm working on it. Um, you know, don't judge my holiness by looking yeah. at my bookshelf. Um, but cheers it, to the pursuit. <laughs> right, exactly. But even you know, it can be difficult at times. Sometimes, as a citizen, uh, we as as voting citizens, we don't necessarily have to wade through some of the difficult um, questions that that policymakers who are getting into the into the weeds on particular pro, uh, proposals have to wade through. And what I mean by that is let's say that you you're a let's say you're a state representative and there are like 10 pro-life proposals in front of you. Oof, yeah. And like five of them are kind of pursuing one legal strategy and five of them are pursuing like another different legal strategy and they what both have do? like the same end in mind, like life, it's good from conception to natural death, but like there's an actual, actual kind of nuts and bolts. There are like some mechanics to like how our legal system works. So how do you choose, you know, how do you, how do you choose? And uh, for me, I guess the way, what do you do? That's back to the thread that I see in common between these two quotations is like you, we just must be dependent uh, on the Lord. So bringing our expertise to bear. So if, if I've got legal training, I'm like going to look at the legal, uh, intricacies, intricacies of, of each yeah. one. Maybe I'm a maybe I'm a medical doctor. I can look at you know. So whatever particular giftedness we have in the world, our talents, we can bring those to bear in looking at these questions. But for me, just kind of feeling like I'm insufficient, the way I deal with it is like, um, yeah, I look at it as a lawyer, but I also look at it as, or I invite the Lord into it. Lord, uh, I'm insufficient. Uh, you are sufficient. You are needed. Uh, I need you. Um, and I see, I really see that in both of these uh, quotations from Jean Baptiste, which, um, which is good. And I got a, you know, just a pat on the back to our legislature too. There are a lot of really prayerful people up there. A lot of, uh, a lot of really humble people too. So, and granted, um, nobody's, nobody's perfect. Not even our legis, uh, not our, our legislators certainly aren't perfect, but, um, you know, there's, we, we, I think we can be proud. South Dakota is a pretty good place. We got a, a lot of people here that are just trying to do the right thing and and, and I think at the to... heart of it, it's the the integrated person. You know, when we're integrated, it's 
it's far easier to allow it to, to flow out from us. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot, but I think you taught me this, so it's probably hopefully not putting you that much on the spot. But was it JFK that um, made the comment of like, yes, I'm pro-life, but I would never let my religious beliefs uh, uh influence the way that I govern or That's something right. like that. Was that, is that, am yeah, I remembering that right? He was running for president in 1960. He visited a group of ministers in Texas and there was a lot of real concern uh, with a Catholic running for higher office. Uh, we'd never had a Catholic president before. And that's, that's right. He said, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. See, look at all the things you teach me. But I just, I, that, that's what kind of came, came to mind as you were sharing that, like this separation of, of who I am from what I do. I, I just don't know that it works. You know, I think it ends, I think it ends up leading to this kind of divided heart, which is really difficult. And I don't know the balance between that, like how much, um, I, I just have to think like if we're really rooting ourselves in a contemplative life, that has to influence all that we do. That has to influence our work. That has to influence, you know, the way that we uh, vote politically, the way that we govern politically, whatever it might be. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I would I would agree with you. Um, it can be difficult at times because people, you know, people have a like a thought of there, there's kind of this myth in American discourse of a separation between church and state and you can't impose your religion on anybody. Um, I say like, wait a minute, like, let's think about that. Like nobody's, nobody's proposing a law that says you have to read a Bible every day Mm -hmm. like that. You know, okay. Mm -hmm. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. Um, do we, should we have a law that says that? Well, uh, not so fast, Mm -hmm. but for us as Christians, Christianity, um, the truths that we're proposing to our fellow citizens Sometimes I think about myself as a missionary for reason. Yeah. You know, they're, it's they're, not they're, just a spiritual reality. They're, they're founded upon reason. Reason, yeah. You know, and they, there's a there's a profound light that is brought to them by faith. Yeah. But they're not irrational truths. Yeah. They're fundamental fundamentally nature. Uh, consonant with with reason, with nature, with what we can observe within reality. You know, which is why um, the pro life movement is has received. Um, just such a, a boon within society from the advance of science. Right. We can see these little people in the room. Right. right. We can right. see their faces. Yeah. We know a lot about um, just we scientifically, we know a lot about conception and what is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is there? Yeah. Following conception. Yeah. You're so right. There's such a there's a false myth um, surrounding the separation. And, and, and I think if we were really to dive in and that's uh, quite frankly, what I find most compelling probably about Catholicism Um, You know, I'm Christian because of my encounter with Jesus Christ, my experience of the Holy Spirit, uh, my relationship with God the Father. But I would say I'm Catholic because of um, the language that it gave me to describe that experience, but then to enhance it. And then this vision that it gave me through which to see the world. It was like a pair of glasses that were put on my face that suddenly color came through, you know, mm-hmm. color made sense and, and the human person made sense and the human wounds made sense. And, you know, all of these things, it was like, man, Catholicism just absolutely opened my mind and my heart to the reality of the world that offered me a vision for the world. Mm. Uh, and, and that's, again, just returning to that, like integrated person, how do we be an integrated person as we approach the political conversation, how do we be an integrated person as we approach our work in the world? Um, 
putting on that lens, putting on that lens of truth, which illuminates everything. Mm. So here's a here's a question. So you're in, you're living an integrated life. You're 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 really just seeking to found all that you do in the apostolate. Your your work in the world upon union with God in prayer. What if your apostolate causes suffering? What if what if then um, what if that has consequences for you? I think it inevitably will. I yeah. don't think it's a what if. I think it. I think it's a matter of when. You know, it's a matter of of when. If 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 truly we we respond to pick up your cross and follow me. If truly we say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Where, look where that led him. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. You know it, that that led to a really brutal scourging and a really brutal brutal crucifixion. Uh, it, it's yeah. I I think it will lead to suffering. I think it inevitably will lead to suffering, but. It will also lead to the resurrection. Amen. You know? Yeah. So like Hallelujah. pick up our cross. Ugh, it's a heavy one sometimes. Isn't yeah, it? it really is. It's like, oh, I don't want to <laughs> Can be, I get a hand over here? I don't want to be crucified. Which speaking of, can I get a hand? Community. You know, I yeah, think right. if, I think if we're like doing life with other people, if we're in community with other people, man, our cross feels a little lighter, doesn't it? Amen. One of my favorite topics. <laughs> For so, another podcast. That's right. So maybe just in the in the minute we have left, um, what do you want to leave? people with, you know, just uh, a lot of Catholics listening to this podcast, maybe some non-Catholics. Like what's, what's our takeaway uh, from talking about uh, Jean Baptiste? My hope for your takeaway is that uh, if you seek to be fruitful in the world, that you would start from an interior place of contemplation and that all that you do, everything that you do in the world, uh, in every sphere of your life would be dynamically animated by the work of God. Emily Leadham, Director of the Office of Marriage, Family, and Respect Life, thank you so much for joining us on Episode 2 of Faith in Politics. Thanks, Chris. 